Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Once again, my name is Adam Burns, one of your co-hosts, and joining me on this episode once again is Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this week? You're all good? Um, yeah, good evening, everyone. Um, yeah, can't complain yet again. Um, things are still slowly but surely improving. Let's um, take off day by day, mate. Yeah, that's good to hear. And uh, also joining us this week, once again, a uh, fan favourite, or so he proclaims himself to be, but he's on again once nonetheless. It's uh, Luke joining us as well. So Luke, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you, Adam. Hi, Courtney. How are you doing? Good evening, everyone. So uh, starting off with the preview for the British Grand Prix, of course, we've had our first weekend without Formula One since the season has returned to us following the covid pandemic and uh, it's almost felt a little bit dreary really almost used to seeing formula one on a regular basis all of a sudden the season's well underway we've already got the major talking points coming at us but uh, yeah a little bit of a lull this weekend but obviously now that's passed we're up to our next uh double header which will be or triple header in some cases but the first of which will be the first of two races at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix this weekend. So, uh, guys, are we, Courtney? Are we looking forward to this race? Yeah, it's going to be a shame that um, I think this is going to be the first real race where the crowd will be missed because Silverstone is always known, particularly you know when a British driver does well, it's very much known for having like a, a fantastic atmosphere. And um, I, I do believe it. Yeah, it's going to be the first race where. The crowd will be missed. Well, I will say for one thing's for sure, Courtney, is that at least this time, if Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton are having a battle to try and overtake each other, the director won't pan to the crowd as Lewis Hamilton's <laughs> trying to retake Valtteri Bottas as he did last season. When uh, uh, I, I must say, though, Silverstone is definitely one of my favourite tracks, not just because it's in Britain, but it's the, the ebb and the flow of the circuit always like creates plenty of um, opportunities to overtake. If you have a look at the last few years, there's been some brilliant racing, so I expect the same this weekend. 
Yeah, definitely. And uh, so for those of you that are sort of hearing any background noise, obviously at the moment we're sort of uh, dealing with a temporary recording situation which might create a little bit of background noise. So do apologise for that. The microphone is pretty powerful, hence why you might hear some little bumps in that every now and then. But we'll persevere nonetheless. So uh, moving on to the uh, British Grand Prix, of course, it's a good point. We mentioned Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, of course. Um, as expected, Lewis Hamilton's probably going to be the red-hot favourite for this race. Six times a winner, more than anyone else at Silverstone. Absolutely loves this circuit. And uh, with Mercedes as formidable as they are at the moment, it's very hard to look past uh, a, a winner in one of those two cars, either Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Bottas. And uh, obviously, Lewis taking the lead of the Drivers' Championship for the first time this season after two dominating performances in the Styrian Grand Prix and the Hungarian Grand Prix, respectively. So um, I'm going to come to you first, Luke. Do you think there is anyone else out that's not driving a Mercedes that could stop Mercedes from dominating at their local track? Or do you feel that Mercedes are going to potentially run away with this one and two again? Yeah, I think it's going to be one, two. And in my opinion, again, it's going to be Lewis in front of Valtteri. Um I mean, obviously, as you, you pointed out earlier, Lewis is very, very dominant in Silverstone. Yeah. He's he's won, the, he's won there six times. He's obviously a British driver. He's going to love it even more. Unfortunately, he's not going to have the crowd there to, to obviously guide him along the way, but I'm still adamant that Lewis will get the job done very comfortably. And just quickly before I forget, I remember um, over the years where at Silverstone, um, even though we're not going to have the crowd there, um, I think the TV rights are going to be loving it because usually on the same day, Wimbledon finals usually on that day, and also um, there's a, another event that they usually have on that day as well. So was well, it last year? Last year was the um, World Cup final, wasn't it? Was it the, yeah, it was the World Cup final when the yeah. the the Wimbledon final. So obviously, yeah, it's going to be hopefully a lot more viewings for the British Grand Prix. But just going back to what about Lewis? Yeah, I think he's going to be very dominant this weekend again. Yeah, so just to clarify, um, obviously the World Cup, we're talking about the Cricket World Cup, that uh, England, if you're listening abroad, obviously we're all English here, and uh, we were very happy to see England win that one-day World Cup in cricket in dramatic fashion in that super over, with uh, Ben Stokes being one of the heroes in that event. But um, coming back to Formula 1, of course, yes, you're absolutely right to point that out. The TV audience is going to be glued to uh, the Formula 1. Obviously, it's FA Cup final weekend as well, but that's going to be on the Saturday. So the Sunday race is literally going to have three reigns where all the global attention is going to be on that, which is great to see. Of course, as we've also mentioned, there won't be any fans at this event for the first time in uh, probably since the British Grand Prix began uh, many, many years ago. And uh, it's such a shame. I mean, famous cliche phrase from Nigel Mansell. He often said that the British Grand Prix driving in front of a packed crowd at Silverstone with the crowd cheering you on is almost worth a few tenths of a second a lap. And that's absolutely pivotal in a championship fight that we expect to happen between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas once again. We expect that to be decided by a very few attempts. We've seen Valtteri's pace has been relatively good compared to previous seasons in qualifying, at least. He's on Lewis's, if you like, somewhat his level. Not quite there yet. Lewis always seems to be able to extract that little bit extra. But on home turf, do we expect... Lewis to miss the crowd too much or do we reckon he'll be able to just dial it in and do what he often does so so well Courtney I think yeah I, I he's at that point now where you know he's he's achieved so much and I don't think he 
it always gives them a little bit of a, a lift, particularly you know when it's close um, against other teams. But he's got such a dominant car. He's he's confident he can beat Valtteri. He's he's done it what three three times in a row already. Um, I I honestly do believe that the only thing that can really beat Lewis Hamilton this weekend is Lewis Hamilton if he goes in a bit too complacent. Yeah, I, I mean, Lewis, it's funny with Lewis because he's one of the great sportsmen across all sports that doesn't have many off days. In Formula One, obviously, you know, it's an environment where drivers aren't really allowed to have off days, if, especially when you're under pressure. You're always judged yeah. on your most recent performance. But in Lewis's case, when he has a bad day, he has a bad day. And I think in, a, in some regards, um, you could even argue, despite coming uh, fourth, Austria was considered a bad day for opening race of the season. How everything just seemed to unfold in the worst way for him. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong, despite the fact that he was still relatively quick. But I think that's a good point to point out. Do we expect much resistance from Valtteri Bottas? I think he dominated in Austria to to, to a large degree. I, I think it's fair to say Bottas had that nailed on, despite the problems he was nursing. We never really got to see if Hamilton could trouble Bottas, given the penalties and instances he was involved in. But since then, Bottas has lacked that something that we've quite often said about him that separates him from someone like the level of Lewis Hamilton. And with respect to Valtteri Bottas, of course, we should remember that we're talking about arguably one of the very best drivers that's ever sat in a Formula 1 cockpit that we're comparing him to. So it's a very, very difficult mantle to match up to. Do we think Valtteri Bottas can reignite already his season after uh, two races, particularly in Austria as well, where he was a little bit out of form, if you like, if that's fair for me to say, perhaps a little bit off his absolute best. Do we think he can turn it around at this weekend's British Grand Prix? I think obviously the car will help him. You know, he's got within the Mercedes, of course, he's going to stay alongside Hamilton for, you know, hopefully for his case long periods in the race and obviously in qualifying we've seen that his pace is very good um i've always said that you know lewis over the the course of qualifying is the best one lap driver out there but of course valtteri bottas can in my opinion reignite his you know challenge you know he's lost his lead in the championship which is not going to be good for him but i think he should be really positive and really confident he can get a result this weekend that's obviously good for him and the team but I just feel that Lewis is going to be a lot stronger you know this weekend especially in Britain but you never know we just have to wait and see yeah um, I, I feel that I don't want to sound arrogant because obviously I'm, 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 I'm a known Lewis Hamilton fan I think if, if you used to take aside possible race incidents or reliability I think I think Lewis should have this season nailed because Let's not forget that Max Verstappen has been getting everything out of that Red Bull, outperforming the car massively. And I, I just get the impression that when Red Bull are close enough to Mercedes, I just get the feeling that Max is going to be taking points off, um, a lot more points off Altry than he will be Lewis. And I think Max Verstappen's actually going to be a big factor in deciding who wins the championship. Yeah, he could well be. Um Max, as we saw in the Hungarian Grand Prix, he can turn around a, a disappointing qualifying performance for Red Bull 
and the uh, pre-race incident that he had where he almost took himself out of the race before the start into a performance that, you know, beggars belief at how he's able to drag a car like that, the way the Red Bull is at the moment, and put it into a position where he was keeping Lewis honest at very minimum for most parts of that race and obviously coming second, crucially finishing ahead of Valtteri Bottas. And you're absolutely right to point that out where Max can have an influence on this championship, where if one Mercedes is not performing, Max will be there to take advantage. And that's the best that we can hope for, I suppose, this season, given how dominant Mercedes are. Given the nature of the British Grand Prix, it's a very abrasive circuit, although it is very much in the high-speed category. Certainly going to favour the teams that have the better engine, i.e. Mercedes plays straight to their... uh, Trump cards, if you like. So it's probably fair to point out that it could be another potentially difficult weekend for Red Bull, who, by and large, have, I suppose, a little bit disappointed um, the F1 fans in terms of the expectations and what they've shown in testing compared to their actual race performance at the moment. But do we feel that Red Bull can turn it around this weekend? And if not, do we think that they can get on top of their issues at a reasonable point before Mercedes run away with this championship? Um, no. they, I just, I, I can't see them closing the, the. I think I mentioned this last week. I just can't see that size of a gap getting closed fast enough for them to catch up in terms of points. Like it could get to the point where you know we saw it with Ferrari last season where. When they had races where they were the fastest, they, you know, Ferrari went through a phase. I think it was two, two maybe three races back to back wins. Yes. But by that point, they were so far behind in the championship. You know, yeah, it made for more entertaining like races, but the championship itself was pretty much settled by then. And I think that could be the point again this season. I think the, the only, the only factor that could play into the championship itself is Max. I, I don't think Red Bull will catch up fast enough. Yeah, and I think it's important that Red Bull trying to get on top of these issues. Obviously, we talked about in great detail in the last episode how we felt that George Russell, the Williams driver, was right in his comments that they were making Alex Albon out to be a bit like an idiot, really, or made a bit of a fool given the poor showing that he had in qualifying um, where the team put him out in difficult circumstances with traffic and he wasn't able to extract the pace. Yet his race performance... Moved them all the way up into fifth, only finishing behind Bottas, Stroll, Verstappen and Lewis. Shows that there's a lot more coming from their drivers at the moment than the car is. Than the car is. So Red Bull certainly need to get on top of this. And unfortunately, at a track like Silverstone, I just feel on the same wavelength as you guys. That this is going to be a track that's going to play to Mercedes' strengths. And perhaps the biggest threat to them this weekend is going to come from the racing points again, rather than the Red Bulls or even the Ferraris at push. So, um... The, um... Well, the weather always plays a part in Silverstone, though, doesn't it? Like, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, um... If we see changeable conditions again this weekend. So, that could play a part. It could well do. But I think we've got to bear in mind as well that we've already seen changeable conditions in two Grand Prix this season already. Yeah. Um, by and large, oh. Mercedes have absolutely dominated the conditions. And in particular, Lewis Hamilton, of course. Yeah. I was just going to mention that, look. It does, for me, with Lewis again, it, it doesn't matter what condition it is. Yeah, I, I just feel I don't want to keep saying it. I just feel over this weekend he's going to dominate, uh, and it doesn't matter what 
the dry or wet condition, as you as we mentioned, and as you said, Courtney earlier, the only thing that's going to stop Hamilton from winning this race is him himself. So, yeah, no, that's a good point. So, um, yeah, I think we've given up. So, well, actually, I'm going to put you on the spot. Actually, why not? Uh, it should be a bit easier, I imagine, where you guys are going to go with this. But I'm going to put you on the spot in who you think is going to win the Grand Prix this weekend. So I'll start with you, Luke. Who do you think is going to win? Sebastian Vettel. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I've, Lewis Hamilton. I think he's going to win both whilst at Silverstone. But this weekend, yeah, I'm going to go for a Mercedes 1-2, Lewis at the front, Bottas second. And I'm going to go for Sergio Perez to finish third. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Yeah, with Lewis. Um, Not Vettel. I think. I think. Well, you never know. Um, <laughs> can you imagine? Oh, um, if you um, oh, you could actually play this clip if Sebastian goes on to win this Grand Prix. I actually kind of hope it happens now. Remember, I um, said it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, let's be honest, guys. I don't think it could be much worse than what he did last year, d- driving into the back of Verstappen and punting him off at the exit or into Club and Vale. Um, that was a meme-worthy moment. Yeah, very was, much did was. Did you think it was a blue flag or something, maybe? Uh, well, maybe he was trying to recreate Ricciardo Verstappen in Baku all them years ago for Red Bull, and he just thought, oh, I'll have some of that. But, um, yeah, so, <laughs> so Courtney, sorry, you were saying. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Lewis. I think even in past years, particularly Silverstone, even if um, Valtteri beats him in qualifying, there's, there's plenty of opportunities to overtake a Silverstone. So I'm going to go with, yeah, Lewis first, Valtteri second, and I, I, I think I think um, Max is going to uh, bring the performance out of that red ball again and get another podium. That's an interesting shout. Um, as I said, I, I think Red Bull have got a lot of head-scratching to do regarding their car. For whatever reason, it's just not delivering the performance that they want. We know that Mercedes have made huge gains on their engine over the winter break from last season, hence why another reason why they've been so dominant. And I think that's going to play to their strengths. And uh, because of that, I- I'm going to go the same as Luke on this one for the top three. I'm going to go with Hamilton to win, Bottas second, and Sergio Perez to come third with uh, Lance Stroll, I think, will come in fourth place as well. In large, has done re- relatively well, I suppose, this season. I think he's going to continue that. So, a real head-scratcher for Racing Point there because of the contract situation with Perez. I think it's a couple more days now uh, to exercise a clause in Perez's contract to make sure they retain him, and they haven't done that yet. So, obviously, fueling the rumours about Sebastian Vettel. But, of course, we're not going to go into that too much. We've already spoken that that a lot already. I was just going to mention, Courtney, the, I think the only thing Verstappen's going to do this weekend... He may win driver of the day, but apart from that, I don't think he's going to win anything else. Yeah, he, he often wins uh, driver of the day. I wonder why. Yeah, he seems <laughs> to like that one, but that's obviously a fan poll as well, so that does tend yeah. to vary. Um, but anyway, let, let's move on. Of course, we mentioned them a little bit earlier, and a team that we expect probably to have another difficult weekend after a very disappointing season so far, and that is Ferrari. Now, obviously, news has come out. Uh, over the weekend that Ferrari were going to restructure. We heard rumours about senior management being involved and what that meant. And normally, Courtney, when that happens, it usually means the technical technical director of the team principal is literally laying on the chopping block waiting for the guillotine to put them out of their misery. This time, though, that hasn't happened. Ferrari have gone a more pragmatic route. 
they've been very open and honest about their flaws. I mean, let's be honest, there's no way they could put a red veil over it like they have in the past and expect everything to be okay. They literally have nowhere to hide. And the press release that came out from Ferrari directly goes as follows. So Scuderia Ferrari mission winner has restructured its technical department to render it more effective and assure a more holistic emphasis on performance development. This has been achieved by instituting a chain of command that is more focused and simplified and provides the heads of each department the necessary powers to achieve their objectives. To this end, it has also been established that a new performance development department will be headed up by Enrico Cardil. And of course, supported in large by Diego Sanchez and Rory Byrne. Now, those two names, for you more veteran Formula 1 fans will ring a lot of bells in a good way. Now, to put it in this context for some newer Formula One fans, Rory Byrne and Diego Sanchez were heavily involved in the success, particularly Rory Byrne, were heavily involved in the success of Ferrari in their glory days when Ross Braun, Jean Todd, Michael Schumacher, that little holy trinity that Ferrari had, where they dominated for six years from 99 to 2000 and four culminating in six constructors and five driver world championships respectively. So first things first, a huge surprise from Ferrari when, as we said before, Corny, in normal circumstances when these things happen, it doesn't make good reading to their team bosses. In the past, we've seen Marco Mattiacci, who brought Sebastian Vettel to Ferrari. Obviously, he was sacked not long after Vettel was signed. Stefano Domenicali was unsuccessful during the Alonso years, of course, in the early 2010s. And, of course, more recently, Maurizio Arrivabene, who arguably had the best Ferrari car um, that he was running for two years in 2017 and 18, and proved unsuccessful on both occasions and was replaced by now Mattia Benotto. So what do you make of this press release from Ferrari, this new structure that they've talked about putting into place? Do you think this is the right move for Ferrari going forward or do you feel perhaps this is just a, a popularity or a publicity stunt to try and get people on board whilst they invoke a plan that perhaps isn't going to come through like many others in the past? I mean, with with Ferrari, it's, it's good they're taking a, a, a change of approach because it, it's definitely well needed. But just, just, just give my perspective as a neutral, look, I could be wrong. I could well be wrong. But in the past, what, well, 12 years since they last won a, um, a championship, be it a constructors, there have been so many false storms at Ferrari. So at this point, again, could be proven wrong. At this point, I can't help but feel sceptical because we've been in this position like repeatedly in the past few years. So... Hopefully, for the sake of Formula One, you need Ferrari up there, as we discussed last week. You need Ferrari up there, um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 a bit sceptical, but maybe this change of approach might um, reap different results for Ferrari. I mean, what this essentially does, from what I've read from this press release, I mean, just to clarify, people are wondering about other areas like the engine or the chassis or trackside activities. Those haven't changed. Uh, those areas are still. You know, led by Enrico uh, Gualtieri in charge of the power unit, Lauren Makes, um, the sporting director in charge of trackside activities, and of course, Simon Resta, who Ferrari brought in from Alfa Romeo a few seasons ago, who was quite instrumental in back then Sauber's progress in 2017, 2016, 2017. 
and uh, obviously he's back at Ferrari. He's going to continue in the chassis engineering department. So effectively what Ferrari have done is they've addressed this issue where they've had a lack of a technical director since Matti Bonotto has assumed the role of team principal. And they basically put in uh, a new, if you like, quality control department. They've called it the they've called it the performance development department, but it's basically quality control underneath Matti Bonotto to basically be led by David Sanchez and Rory Byrne to make sure that the aero, the engine, the chassis, everything goes through them. They're going to be leading the projects to some degree. And they're going to make sure that Ferrari now, when they get new parts of their car or new changes or new designs on the new cars that will come out, those are going to be the best they possibly can be. Because quite often in the past, Corny, we've always seen Ferrari make mistakes in their car design or their development for loads and loads of reasons. And there's usually a few a uh, few pieces they put out to kind of defend this or to give excuses, i.e., for example the correlation between the wind tunnel data and the track data just doesn't seem to match up. There's always variations to a large degree. Now, of course, we should stress every team does go through that, but no one seems to have as much of a gulf in their correlation, their data between the track and the wind tunnel than Ferrari. I think that's probably would, be fair to say. It would suggest a communication issue, really, wouldn't it? In large, I would say so. And, and I think it's important why perhaps... Uh, using well naming Rory Byrne as as one of the leading protagonists on this project is more than just a smokescreen to cover for Ferrari's shortcomings to kind of get people on side and I believe that in the past we've seen how influential in particular Rory Byrne was for Ferrari and how instrumental he was with the aero design now of course it's been widely rumoured and reported that Rory Byrne was heavily influential towards the design of the 2017 car, the SF70H. Yeah, and it was heavily influential on the 2018 car that should have won the World Championship. And, of course, the side pod design. The famous side pod design that Ferrari bought out in 2017 that is now pretty much on every single car since. So, to have him in particular more involved on this car, I believe it's more than just a publicity stunt. I feel that Ferrari have seriously addressed these uh, issues of trying to chase success in the short term and are now perhaps planning for the long-term goal of achieving success over a, a, a long period of time in Formula 1, a new era, if you like. And uh, John Elkin, who is one of the uh, chairman at Ferrari, along with Louis Camilleri, he has basically gone out and responded to this by saying that he does not expect Ferrari to become or return to race-winning, championship-winning form until at least 2022 when the new rules and regulations are coming in. And I, and that is quite a worrying sign for Ferrari fans in the short term. Basically, that's suggesting what we probably thought was going to happen anyway, that because of the limitations uh, placed on the regulations of 2021 and that car development was going to be uh, very difficult with the lack of tokens available for development, it almost felt like this; these cars were going to participate in a two-season championship rather than a one-season championship, if you like. So Ferrari going for the long-term approach is something they haven't really done that often. It's a very pragmatic approach, very open and honest approach from them, a bit refreshing considering what we're used to from Ferrari. 
But do we think this is going to pay off? Do you think what Ferrari have implemented at this point, Courtney, do you think that that's going to warrant and provide results in the future in the same way perhaps Mercedes have done? Or do you feel well, that this is just another smokescreen? I do think they, like as I said earlier, they definitely need to change the approach. Um, it's good because that, that's what Mercedes did for 2014. They, they put a lot of development for a lot of years worth of development into the, the change in regulations. But the problem is, and, and, and the problem that every other team has, well, have had the past, what, how many years now? Six, six, seven years? Is that Mercedes have been so dominant that they're probably in a position now where they might be thinking about uh, putting resources into 2022. That, 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 that's the problem that every other team has. Mercedes have been so dominant they probably have a similar mindset to Ferrari right now. It is, it is, a, it is a possibility, and I know uh, you know every neutral F1 fan doesn't want to be hearing that, but unless there are big you know, changes at Mercedes and all falls apart with their management, I'd, I'd be very surprised to see them overthrown even 2022 because they're so far ahead at this point. Yeah, and, and this is important to note that because obviously we've got a massive overhaul in regulations the largest of its kind since 2009, following the economic crisis. And there's a lot of pressure on teams to deliver some level of change in the pecking order where it doesn't allow Mercedes to continue their domination, which stretches back to 2014, if we said. And in a way, what this has done, if Ferrari are correct and that they don't become a race-winning championship potentially winning team until 2022 does two things it puts a lot of pressure on red bull because now they are probably the only team in my mind that can now challenge mercedes for those two seasons racing point as good as they've been they're using effectively last year's mercedes as quick as that is it's not going to be faster than this year's mercedes we know that I mean, if Mercedes started seeing Racing Point beat them on a regular basis, they'd probably revert to their old car and see if that they can yeah. match themselves up. All jokes aside, um, imagine yeah. Ferrari could do that as well. Well, <laughs> and, and this is the thing because a lot of people yeah, thought, yeah, a lot of people you thought, them. you put a few temps there. Yeah, a lot of people thought. <laughs> for, <laughs> well, I was thinking that should they run last year's Ferrari because they're very heavily dragged. Like uh, all pun aside, they're very heavily uh, bogged down by the drag coefficient in their current car and. I think it's important to talk about, or, or mention at least, that the engine issue Ferrari have had has, ha has hampered them massively because they designed this year's car with a lot of drag in mind because they wanted to be faster in the corners, assuming that they were going to have the engine that they planned to have for this season. But they haven't got that, so they've lost all that extra speed, and that's why they're so much slower in the speed traps. They've got a, a car that effectively handles better than last year's one, but they haven't got the extra power to counteract the extra drag. So they're kind of being hit with both barrels on this one. So it's a bold move from Ferrari, something refreshing, something different from what they'd normally do. Um, as a Ferrari fan, for those of you that have listened to this know that I am, I think I'm at this point now where I think they have to try something as bold as this because I feel like plan A has not worked and they've constantly tried to change the figurehead and the route that they've gone down in terms of how to achieve 
goals in the short term and they always seem to come up against the same issue and if anything over time they regress the more they change things so hopefully this will warrant better results in the future but I believe from what John Elkin has said the target is more likely going to be Red Bull and Racing Point rather than Mercedes I never thought I'd say that anytime soon that Racing Point would be the target rather than a Mercedes but that's the reality Ferrari find themselves in right now so uh Difficult times ahead, and they've certainly got the people there to make that happen, but um, there's going to be a lot of emphasis and a lot of pressure for them to deliver. May I just say, that 10 minutes you've just explained all of that was beautiful. <laughs> well, I hope... I've, 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 I've had, like, I, I saw... I mean, I just feel for the situation that Ferrari are a little bit desperate at the moment, that they're trying to revert back to, obviously, where they were successful, and obviously where Mercedes have got so much more dominant. But... I mean, obviously, yeah, I don't know too much about the subject, but from what you've said from the last five to ten minutes, that's either one, confused me even more, but two, <laughs> it's um, it's obviously given us a, a bit much more of an understanding of what's actually going on behind the scenes at Ferrari. Well, I'm going to take that as a positive endorsement, even though it might not have sounded like it. At Listen, I, like, I like Ferrari in a midfield battle. You know, <laughs> but, uh, they have another two years of it. That's great. But, well, I mean, I mean we the, need them at the top. The know. Formula One website bantered them on this and actually said who's going to win the midfield battle and they included Ferrari in this, which, I mean, granted, it's probably fair given at times they're the fifth or sixth fastest car on the grid, which is, uh, I've never seen a regression as quick as that in one season. Ferrari have had this problem before in the late 80s, early 90s, but that slowly happened over a few years never happened in 18 months or so quickly or over one winter break if you like did they state a Ferrari car or a Ferrari engine that's going to win the midfield battle it was the car <laughs> I mean I'm guessing they assumed the whole package really <laughs> nonetheless anyway I'll, we'll... I'll, I'll say Adam can I um, can I interrupt I, I just had a thought something just dawned on me What's... I know why Luke wants to see Ferrari in a midfield battle why is that he wants to see Vettel come up against Kvyat again oh I can't well I love it <laughs> Was it Steria or Austria? Was it Austria? It was the Austrian Grand Prix, of course it was. I mean, with that moment when the torpedo, like, it just came back to me. When when Vettel <laughs> took Kvyat out, and it's just, it was just like, it was just, it well, was refreshing. Well, I mean, he didn't you know? he didn't take Kvyat out, so to speak. He sort of pulled a, he, he sort of pulled across him and gave him literally no room to try and get back at him. And, and, and I'll be honest, it did feel like Vettel enjoyed that one, especially after... For, as a, as Magnussen I said, and Hulkenberg new at, over again. No, no. I mean, newer F1 fans probably won't remember, but obviously back dating to 2016 where Kvyat in back-to-back races, the tor- torpedo moment in China, and then, of course, driving into the back of Vettel twice in the Russian Grand Prix, <laughs> taking Vettel out, which, of course, uh, subsequently resulted in Kvyat losing his seat to Max Verstappen and the rest is history since then. Um but obviously that aside now, I think this is a good opportunity to take a break. And uh, for those of you that are still with us after this lengthy chat, we'll be happy to know that the second part is not going to be as long. But we will see you in the second part of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Welcome back to the second part of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So obviously just to recap from part one, we were talking about the British Grand Prix preview and of course the changes that have gone on a Ferrari and what we thought about that. Whilst we have you here, guys, of course, I've got to do this in part one, but I'm going to do it now. For those of you that don't know, last week we released our first proper video that we've made. Of course, we put these podcasts up on YouTube, but our first actual video, the beginner's guide to Formula One from DNF1, of course, from us. And uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, I definitely recommend that you check it out. It's on the YouTube channel, DNF1 
F1 podcast, make sure to type that in and make sure to like, share and subscribe. It's doing rather well, but of course, we always appreciate more support and obviously mention what you can to us in the comment section. Let us know what you think. It's a great little guide to basically explain, explain some of the basics and some of the important things in a nice, concise and fun manner, unlike our podcasts usually are, on how the Formula One weekend normally works and what to look out for if you're a new fan to the sport and if you want to enjoy Formula One. So make sure to check that out and, of course, let us know what you think. And, of course, it's worth mentioning that our part two video, for those of you that have seen part one, you'll be interested to know that we plan for that one to go live next Friday, uh, the... I remember my dates right, the 7th of August, um, prior to the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, which will be the second race at Silverstone next Friday. So make sure, if you uh, haven't already, to like and subscribe to the channel as well. It really helps us out. And of course, if you continue to support us, guys, as you've so often done, it will allow us to make more great content for you lot. So, shameless plug aside, let's move on to the uh, final point of discussion for this week's podcast episode. And... That's the news that we've got three new circuits uh, added to the Formula One calendar. So some exciting news, of course. We've had some other races added on. We had uh, Mugello and, of course, the Sochi race in Russia coming up very, very soon. But, of course, we've got three new races, two of which some old favourites and a new race as well. So we'll start off with the first race. It's going to be at the Nürburgring for what will probably be the German Grand Prix on the weekend of the 9th to 11th of October. So that will be there instead of a race at Hockenheim. There'll be no race at Hockenheim this season, which is a bit disappointing, but the Nürburgring is certainly a worthy replacement to that. And then, of course, we've got the second race of this three that have been announced on the weekend of the 23rd to 25th of October will be in Portimao in Portugal. We mentioned this on a previous podcast episode not too long ago that I felt that a Portimao race was going to happen and uh, in the Algarve region in Portugal, which is one of the least affected areas of COVID from looking at the data from what I've seen, a very, very good choice for a Formula One race. It's been pending for some time and uh, hopefully that's going to provide a good race. It'll be the first time Formula One has ever been to Portimao for a race. Normally in Portugal, they've often raced at Estoril, but we're going to be racing in Portimao. So that'll be interesting to see. And of course, finally, I think the one Courtney... You and I in particular, veteran Formula 1 fans, are most excited about the return of Imola. Obviously for the third Italian Grand Prix this season in the region of San Marino. For those who remember, the first time Imola will be on the Formula 1 calendar since 2006. So 14 years we've had to wait for another race. And uh, I, for one, am absolutely excited about the prospect of coming back to Imola, Courtney. I don't know about you. Um, what are your thoughts on the news about the yeah, new races. As a, yeah, as, as a fan of the sport, I, I just think it's important that you keep, you know, the, the classic circuits, you know, the big name circuits, shall we say. There should always be a Monaco, a Silverstone, a Monza, an Imola, a Spa. You know, those, those, those tracks should always be in an F1 calendar. I'm going to sound like an old man. I'm only 28. I'm not that old. But, I generally don't like the new circuits. The, you know, the runoff areas are too big. There's no gravel traps. There probably won't be a gravel trap. They'll probably change it around so there isn't a gravel trap. But the old circuits, I just feel, just generate much better races. Silverstone's an example of that. 
So we we need to be keeping these these old circuits and and bring back tracks like him. And I just I just think it'll just make F one a better spectacle overall. But we want. The important thing is we want to make sure we're testing these drivers to their absolute limit. I mean, these guys are world-class. They're the best 20 drivers of open-wheel race cars in the world, in theory, on the grid, uh, dueling it out. We want them to be challenged. We want there to be no forgiveness for mistakes, i.e., you know, having these gravel traps rather than runoff areas. Of course, the old argument is runoff areas are safer because there's more room to run off to rather than runoff areas and the grass and the gravel, which have been unsafe in the past um, but of course, these circuits since have been made a lot safer. I mean, Imola in particular, very much shrouded in history for good and for bad. Of course, a circuit which has seen many good days for Ferrari in particular. Of course, another home circuit for them. They've got three now. They're literally running the championships, almost like the Ferrari World Series that we have with the Ferrari supercars. We're having that in Formula One this season. Um, and of course, some darker days, of course, the scene of Probably arguably the greatest loss in Formula One racing, the death of Ayrton Senna in 1994, which warranted massive changes to not just that circuit in terms of safety, but other circuits as well. From what I remember, I think, and don't quote me on this, because by the time we come around to November, that first week in November, when the uh, the Imola race will be, I believe the final corner, which used to be a chicane, that's now been changed to... Uh, the long straight that they used to have before that was implemented in the early 90s. So I think that's the only difference. Uh, Alpha Tauri team that did some testing earlier in the season, so they're going to have some data on that circuit. And of course, Ferrari will no doubt have data on that circuit from history. But it's it's a great race to have back. I'm very much looking forward to that. It was a brilliant circuit. And uh, I think it's a good opportunity to talk about these last few races some. So I'm, I'm just going to ask you guys, both of you guys, to... Give me, not so much with Portimao, because of course we haven't had a race in Portimao before. So it's very, very hard to reminisce on Formula 1 races on a circuit we've never been at before. But in terms of the Nürburgring and Imola, I want you guys to give me one each of your favourite moments, most memorable moments at both of those Grand Prix. So I'm going to start with Luke first. Luke, so for the Nürburgring, can you give me a memorable moment that sticks in your mind for that race and one also for the Imola race as well that it, that's uh, memorable to you I mean, if, I mean just to quickly say with the Nürburgring growing up watching Formula 1 with yourself it was always I I loved the Nürburgring I prefer that to Hockenheim and I I mean I know Hockenheim's a great circuit but for me I, Nürburgring was always one of my favourites but if I had to pick a, my favourite moment of Nürburgring I would say the race in 2007. Um, and the only reason why... I, I love a, an underdog. I love a, you know the, the little minnows coming through. You know We went to Spa in 2001 and we saw... Rafael, was it Rafael Marquez in the Minardi? And I just wanted Tarso him to Marquez, win. Tarso yeah, Marquez. Yeah. And was it was one of them things. And then to, to see the little spiker of Marcus Winkelhock <laughs> on his Formula 1 debut... <laughs> Leading a race, and I think we said this. You said this to me off air, like that forty percent of his laps that he's had in Formula One, he's actually been leading in his one race. Ghost statistics, you can't argue with that. Like, I mean, not it, even Lewis Hamilton or Michael Schumacher has that level of. Uh, I was just going to say, out of, I mean, the only other thing I can think that has better statistics in one race is probably well, not a race is 
Sam Allardyce's England record as England manager, one game, one win. <laughs> but it's you know the for me that race it had everything: the rain, the incidents. I think Lewis Hamilton was very very lucky to get out of that incident. He he went off the track at the start of turn one. Mm. Um, was that and, was that the race? Was that the race when like six or seven cars went off on the same that corner? Was the one. Yeah, and Lewis Hamilton, was one of them. Uh, yeah. Jensen Button, well. yeah, yeah, Button, Scott Speed. I think there was a few others. I can't remember the other drivers, but I mean, all I just saw was this orange car coming through, and it was Winkelhock, and everyone was expecting, "Oh, just go around the safety car and unlap yourself." But it was only like lap four or lap five, and it was winning. And I think Alonso won the race in the end. But I mean, just for that moment for me, the Nurburgring, that was my favourite year I've seen the Nurburgring race. Yeah, I mean, to put it into context, guys, the reason Marcus Winkelhock in the Spiker, which was arguably the slowest car on the grid at the time, why he got to the front was the race started in dry conditions and rain was literally imminent. So everybody gambled on staying on the drier tyres and if it rained, they put on the wet tyres. However, Winkelhock in the Spiker decided, his team decided to put him on uh, wet tyres, intermediates, if you like. And all of a sudden... It started to rain, and he ended up finding himself at the front of the pack um, because everyone else had pitted, and he'd end up at the front. So that's how he got there, but of course he was overtaken by Felipe Massa and Fernando Alonso, literally in the space of one back straight, really. They both got him into turn one. How the Ferrari engine got past him, I don't know. know. (laughs) Well, Spike, I think... were spikers? They weren't they running Ferrari engines? I think, I think so, they, yeah, were. they were. But, but those were the old Ferrari engines. Obviously, no, the rules have changed. They were running. Them. Oh yeah, it probably was this year's <laughs> Ferrari engine. Yeah, they were, they were ahead of the curve. And after I was like, ah, oh, damn, we got to get an engine quick. Oh, I see a spiker is still using them old ones. We flogged them back in 2007. It was like the Torosos as well in 2006, where to run the uh, uh, Rev Limited uh, V10s when everyone went to V8s that season, but. You know that those history lessons aside, of course, we could we could talk about it all day. Uh, Courtney, what about you? Uh, memorable moments from Imola or Nurburgring? I think Imola, with Imola, I would say, you know, for bad reasons, as you already mentioned, the um, the Senna incident. Um, but it has to be um, Schumacher versus Alonso. I think that that's one of the duels that really stands out in their rivalry. Mm. So that whenever I think like Schumacher Alonso, I always think of that race in Imola. Yeah, 2006 uh, San Marino Grand Prix it was. Fernando Alonso, obviously, defending world champion against a resurgent Ferrari and Michael Schumacher who were much, much more on the pace in that championship than they were the season before. And you're absolutely right to point out, it's one of the examples where we really saw a passing of the baton between Schumacher and Alonso. And there was a few moments in particular that season, of course, the memorable pass from Alonso on Schumacher into 130R in Japan um, in 2005, of course, the season before that, and uh, other memorable moments as well. But it was one of the best pieces of defensive driving I think I'd ever seen from Fernando Alonso to keep Michael Schumacher behind him, who was so much faster. He'd got ahead of him in the race, and it was just fantastic to see. A lot of respect and brilliance between two great champions. Uh, anything for Nürburgring, Courtney, memories? I think the main one was the one that Luke said, to be honest. I mean, in, in recent years, it hasn't really been... Because it hasn't really been... In recent years, hasn't really been... It's mainly been at Hockenheim, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Hockenheim, um, it's a good circuit, but I miss the old one. I yeah. really do. I mean, they've kind of nerfed it, and it's a good circuit all round, but there's just something about seeing a Formula 1 car going down a really why. long straight like that. And I think, could you imagine DRS on the old Hockenheim circuit? 
Yeah, it's uh, just literally a slam dunk for a pass. Literally, it'd be like that's uh, the Indian Grand Prix where they just literally pass each other back and forth until one eventually gets to the corner. That's why I prefer Nurburgring. Like, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, I, uh, the races itself, of course, Hockenheim was great, but I did prefer the Hockenheim's old circuit compared to the new one. That's why I mentioned mm. I did like the Nurburgring. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, though, right. if, one, if, if one good thing has come out of coronavirus is given us F1 nerds our proper tracks back. Yeah. <laughs> We've been asking for a long time and uh, Formula One have been trying to champion this logistics program they have that we talked about in, pre- in a previous podcast episode earlier in the season, well, before the season started, obviously, that uh, the prospect of having 25 races going from continent to continent to continent. This season, we've practically got a European Canada. I- I've heard stories about there's going to be no race in Austin this year, no race in Canada, Brazil, Mexico, those races have been cancelled because of the COVID pandemic, we may not even get a race in Abu Dhabi. We know there's not going to be a Chinese race. There have been talks about other races. Uh, I imagine they might try and keep Abu Dhabi on the calendar as a season finale, but this is very much haven't, a European calendar. Haven't they? I, I, I don't know where I read it, but it's probably Twitter. Um, they, they say that it can't be considered an, an actual world championship. Unless races take place on three different continents? Yeah, I had heard this. Um, the reason why I think they've got around that is because the championship was originally planned to go over certain number of continents anyway. So it's kind of forced their hand as a de facto situation, but yeah. like a pseudo-world championship, but it's still going to be counting as a world championship. So for those of you that aren't Lewis Hamilton fans thinking that that one was going to be a little asterisk to say, oh, well, Lewis ain't going to beat Schumacher's record because it's not a world championship, it's a European championship. <laughs> Lewis has six world titles and a European one. I'm sorry, guys, to burst your bubble. That's not going to happen. So, uh, yeah, we'll put that one in the bin. It's definitely a world championship in all regards. I just wanted to mention before I forgot about Imola, I didn't mention my favourite part of Imola. When you mentioned about the Schumacher Alonso past the baton, it sort of brought back memories to 2004. Do you remember Schumacher had that little battle with Montoya? Yes. And I, I think I, I know just, where you're going with I this. Mean, with Montoya, I saw a clip the other day. I, I totally forgot about it. And it was like, oh, it was blind that he didn't see me. And I was thinking to myself, no, like, Schumacher knows he's coming to the end of his career. He's not going to pass the baton to you. So I think in 2006, it was like, look, Alonso is a much better and that reliable driver. That was... Um, there's getting who who sh- was at fault for me? Oh, like, Schumacher. Schumacher like, should have given Montoya a round. So just to describe this incident, guys, if you haven't seen it, basically the San Marino Grand Prix, uh, the hairpin corner, I think it was... Uh, trying to remember my turns right. was one, two, three, four. Five. Turn six, I think yeah. it was. The hairpin... And Schumacher was on the inside, defending against Montoya, was trying to overtake him around the outside. And Schumacher on the exit has gone quite wide, and it's forced Montoya to go off the track. Now, for those of you fans of Formula 1 will we'll recite Fernando Alonso, go, oh, the damn, you have to deliver the space, oh, the damn. Um, Schumacher did not leave Montoya any space. There's getting the shoulders out, and then there's trying to test your wingspan. And Schumacher was like, only one of us is making it up the hill, and it's not going to be you. Um, and Montoya responded by saying in joke that... Next to Schumacher, of course, he was very ballsy by saying that you had to be either blind or stupid to not see me there. And everyone just kind of reacted like, oh, did he just say that? But Schumacher took it in all in good jest. That That's just how it was between those two. They had that little rivalry where whenever the two of them got together since the 2001 think, Brazil Grand Prix, it I always came to blows. I think is missing a Montoya, a Montoya though. Mm. Yeah. We need a Montoya back in F1, you um, know. A fiery calendar, yeah. Yeah, 
Very much so. A fiery character. But, uh, almost a bit volatile. Too volatile for his liking. But uh, I mean, we would digress. Um, I mean, me personally, uh, I think the 2003 San Marino Grand Prix, Schumacher Brothers 1 and 2, uh, that weekend, of course, they lost their mother. And it was a very emotional Grand Prix. Uh, I, I would have gone for the 2006 one. I'm going to go for something different, obviously, because you've mentioned it. But uh, obviously, that was a great race between those two and a great way to uh pay tribute to their to their mother as well so uh, you know it was nice for all the right reasons and a very good race between the two schumacher brothers uh at the time when williams were really were at their peak challenging ferrari with ralph and michael schumacher going toe-to-toe in that championship it was really good to see um the nurburgring i'm gonna be a bit old-fashioned here i so often am a nostalgic when it comes to formula one uh, you know this corner very much, am. But the 1999 Luxembourg Grand Prix, as it was at the time, before it became the German, it was technically in the Luxembourg region at the time. But the famous race where literally everybody was having retirements or making mistakes. Of course, Eddie Irvine having issues, Ralph Schumacher retiring from the league, Coulthard Hakkinen with the full start, Heinz Hold Frentzen with issues, which was eventually won by Johnny Herbert in the Stewart. Uh, Stewart coming first and third in that race, with Rubens Barrichello coming third, respectively. Uh, what a classic race that was. And, and for Johnny Herbert, his final win of his Formula 1 career, the plucky, unsung British hero at the time in the late 90s, before we had the massive influx of British Formula 1 stars we have today, he re- that was really a special race uh, for Johnny as well. And the Stewart team as well, led by Sir Jackie Stewart as well, three-time Formula 1 world champion. Such a memorable, crazy race. I definitely recommend, guys, if you haven't seen that race, definitely go on the Formula 1 website or F1 TV. Look for it and have a look through. It's a really fun race to watch and a really, really great result nonetheless. And, uh, yeah, so I think we can call that to an end for a week, guys. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for tuning in for this week. And uh, hopefully you can enjoy the British Grand Prix. Once again, obviously, plug in the DNF1 Beginner's Guide to Formula 1. That's on YouTube. Make sure to check that out. Make sure to like, share and subscribe. The video worked really hard on that. So we hope that you guys can really enjoy it. And of course, we've got part two coming out next Friday on the 7th of August. And uh, until then, make sure to support us on any medium that you do listen to the podcast on. And of course, so, of course follow us on Instagram and Twitter as well, which is DNF1 underscore podcast. Some great stuff going on there as well, particularly the Instagram page. Of course, plenty of interesting content going on there. So uh, that's all that there is for this week. I just want to say thank you once again, Courtney. Of course, co-hosting this with me once again. Great to have you with us again. Always a pleasure, mate. And uh, of course, Luke, thank you for joining us once again on another episode. It's been good having you on. Always a pleasure. My pleasure also. And uh, thank you for joining us once again, guys. Hope you enjoyed that episode. And we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon. Podcast Network.